Okay, let's pray. We, man, we got, I, I just love, 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 love what I'm going to share with you tonight. Uh, <clears throat> really do. So we talk about Jesus and David. So let's just, let's just ask for the Father to speak. Father, we thank you that your word is indeed true and your word is everlasting. And your word is marvelous to behold. Your word is intriguing. And we pray that tonight that you would really allow the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. God, that's my sincere prayer. You, you would just be our teacher. You would guide us through truth. We might marvel that you have planned for our salvation in ages long past. Thank you for this evening, for this opportunity. Break the bread of life to us again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we were looking at Jesus and Moses, and let me just refresh you a little, very quickly, because it ties into what we're going to talk about tonight. In one of Moses' final speeches, he gave a messianic prophecy, Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers, whom, and you must listen to him. By the way, I found out from several people after the study last week that you had talked about that in BSF that very day. I had no idea, had no idea. I, was, I would have taught this anyway, but I didn't know. And uh, It was just interesting to, to hear people uh, talk about that on Sunday night following. <clears throat> and we talked about Moses last week, that, uh, that the prophet that uh, Moses foretold, the prophet that was to come, according to Deuteronomy 18.15, which is our key verse, that he would be raised up by God, he'd come from among the Israelites, he would be like Moses, and he'd be worthy to be heard and obeyed. And then we get to the book of Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews makes the case that Jesus is greater than Moses. And so tonight, <clears throat> well, well, before I leave that, uh, Jesus is greater than Moses. And we said last week that Moses was God's messenger to Israel. But Jesus was God's gift to the world. Uh, so that was kind of last week. But, but the reason I bring that up tonight is because I want you to see how it plays into tonight's lesson as well. So last week, Moses and how Jesus, uh, prophecy about Jesus from the great Moses. Tonight, David and a prophecy to David about the one who would come after him. There's three great titans, if you will, in Hebrew uh, history. You could add more to this, but certainly Abraham, Moses, and David are, are the three big ones, I would say, the kind of the Hebrew trinity in a way. And, and so what we're talking about tonight as we focus on Jesus and David is central to understanding the Old Testament and the New Testament. Thus, it is really one of our core verses. Now, what we're going to be... <clears throat> Talking about tonight, if you've got the book, Core 52, we're going to be dealing with chapters 7 and 8, uh, if you have that book. But, but if you do have that book, you understand that I don't cover a lot of material there, though I am going to use one thing from it uh, this evening. But put this on your notes right there at the top of the page. God promised David 
the first rightful king of Israel, that his throne would be established forever. Now, I want you to walk with me through the text that we're going to be looking at. Uh, <clears throat> go with me to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Just for background, let's begin reading verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. <coughs> after the king was settled in his palace, the king being David, after the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given <coughs> and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. This was bothering David. He looked around one day and he saw that he had such a beautiful palace to live in. And yet he, he thought about the, the ark of God and it was out in the tabernacle. It was out in what he called a tent. <clears throat> Nathan, verse 3, Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. And here's why. For the Lord is with you. Nathan said, well, well if, if that's in your heart to do something for the ark of the covenant, if that's in your heart, go ahead. Because God's hand is on you. So Nathan the prophet is encouraging him, go ahead and build, build a palace for the Ark of the Covenant if you want to. Verse 4, that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Have I not dwelled in a house? I, I'm sorry, I have not dwelled in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you built me a house? Why have you not built me a house of cedar? In other words, God was saying, okay, Nathan, go tell David, mm, I don't think so. Did I ask for this? Have I ever asked for this? Now, skip down to verse 11. <clears throat> Chapter 7, verse 11. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me. In the middle of the verse, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. We're going to come back to that in just a moment, but make sure you see this. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish or build a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. Interesting. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom What's that last word? Forever. Now, <clears throat> go back and you see in verse 11, the Lord himself will establish a house for you or will build a house for you. If you compare that to the rhetorical question in verse 5, it's a beautiful play on words where God says that, that David is not going to build a house for him, that is a temple, but instead, rather, God will build David a house and there he, 
using the word house, he's not talking about a temple, but a royal dynasty. It's in essence, God was saying, it's a beautiful play on words. Listen, David, you're not the one to build a, a house or a temple for me, but, but I do have plans to build you a house, a build you a royal dynasty. The house of David will be built, and the house of David will last forever. And then we come to verse uh, 13. He, the one that's coming from your body, a reference to Solomon, he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, walk through this with me real carefully because we're getting to our core verse, which is verse 16. If you have the book, Core 52, they choose chapter, uh, verse 12, I think, as the core verse. I believe verse 16 is a more accurate core verse, so I'm switching it around a little bit. But this great covenant that God graciously made with David, including these provisions, just stay with me now and walk through this. David would have a son who would succeed him and establish his kingdom. Verse 12. Look in chapter 7, verse 12. David is going to have a son. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body. I will establish his kingdom. Talking directly about the son coming from David's body. And that son's name, of course, was Solomon. And that son Solomon, rather than David, would build the first temple. He is the one who will build a house for, now, for my name. That is a reference to the building of the very first temple in the city of Jerusalem. Solomon's temple, it was called. The throne of Solomon's kingdom would be established forever, it says, at the, se the second part of verse 13. And then, here's where I want to get to the key verse. David's house, or David's kingdom, or David's throne, would be a throne that would be established forever. Skip down to verse 16. You'll see what I'm talking about. God says to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, I've told you before, but whenever you see a word repeated in the same verse, it really is a red flag saying, this is very important. Whether you're reading Old Testament or New Testament, you see a word repeated in Scripture again and again in close proximity, especially in the same verse. It really is a red flag to say this is an important point. This is an important word to understand. And so that's one of the reasons I've chosen verse 16 as our core verse. Also, another reason I chose it is because whenever you look at the prophecies in the New Testament, they reference verse 16 rather than verse 12. So that's why I've chosen verse 16 as the core verse. But let's read the, read the core verse out loud. If you, you have your notes there, so you can just read it straight from the notes if you like. 2 Samuel 7, 16, our core verse for the night. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Would, would you just underline or circle those two words, forever? Forever. <clears throat> Now, there's a couple of points under that I want you to fill in the blanks, and then we're really going to get into our study. First of all, this covenant with David, this covenant that God made with David, is an unconditional covenant. It's an unconditional covenant similar to those that God made with Noah and Abraham. In other words, God has promised that he would fulfill this covenant, and it's not contingent upon anything in David's family, anything about David's living his life, this is a covenant God made with David, a promise that God made to David that was unconditional. All right, the, number two under that core verse. This promise of an everlasting kingdom, put that in the blank. This promise of an everlasting kingdom for the house of David, 
became the focal point of many later prophecies and helped to shape the Messianic hope of Israel. That is, if you were to talk to any Jew, if you were to go to Israel, any, even today, if you talk to a Jew you, and talk to them about David, they would probably be familiar with this Messianic promise. That there was coming one who would uh, be on David's throne forever. This caused the people to long to see David's greater son. There became an anticipation because of this promise that God made to David. There became this anticipation, this longing to see David's greater son, the one who would rule forever. And that promise is carried through the Bible. That's why this is a core verse. So I've made, I think, about five different statements. My voice is fading. I've made about five different statements I'd like to walk through with you regarding this promise and the the one who fulfilled the promise. First of all, number one, Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise made to David. Remember, the promise was made to David, 2 Samuel 7, 16, but Jesus Christ is, is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. I want to show you that in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, going to the story of the birth of Jesus. beginning in verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Right there in the birth announcement. Right there in the birth announcement. We hear this echo of 2 Samuel 7.16. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And look what it says in the next verse, verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, how long? Forever. There's that word again. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. Now, although Jesus is not at the present time ruling on the throne of David, by the way, the promise was not that someone would always be sitting on the throne, but the promise was that ultimately someone would occupy that throne. You see, from the time of the Babylonian captivity, uh, there was definitely a a gap there where there was nobody on the throne of David. Uh, Today, there's nobody on the throne of David. But I'm going to tell you uh, what God's plan is. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, that's when he will assume that role of sitting on the throne of David. By the way, both Mary and Joseph were descendants of of David. Did you realize that? It wasn't just that Joseph was a descendant of David or that his mama was a descendant of David. Both Mary and Joseph, if you study those those two, both, both of those were descendants of David. Therefore, it is very appropriate that he would be called the son of David as he's called in Luke. But he's also the son of David because he's the fulfillment of the promise made in the Old Testament to David. All right, number two. You're still in Luke, so just stay there. Number two is this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. In our last trip to Israel, we... 
we went to Bethlehem, and, and, and of course it was referenced as the city of David. And then we went to Jerusalem at another time, and, and somebody said, that's the city of David. And people said, oh, wait a minute. I thought Bethlehem was the city of David. It is. That's, that's uh, where he was born. But Jerusalem was the city of David because he's the one that established it. And so it, it can be a little confusing sometimes when you see these terms. But let's look in Luke chapter 2. I want, th- this is so in- interesting to me. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, verse 4. So Joseph, went all, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Skip down to verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's a beautiful verse when you understand it in its historical context, its biblical context. Today in the town of David, God kept his promise. Today in the town of David, the one that was promised to David was born. Look in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Remember, I think it was last week, uh, we were talking about um, the prophet. The people were wondering, are are you the prophet? Are you the one to come? uh, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? They, they were asking John the Baptist that and all those kind of things because there was this messianic anticipation uh, related to Moses and the prophet and all of that because Moses had said there, there'd be a prophet like me coming. And so in New Testament days, people were wondering, well, are you the prophet that Moses spoke about? But we, we kind of have that same flavor, if you will, uh, in, in our text in John chapter 7, beginning on verse, in verse 40. On hearing his words, that is what Jesus had said, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. That is, the prophet that Moses talked about. The prophet that Moses said would come after him. Surely this man is the prophet. Others, verse 41, others said, he is the Christ. I told you last week, when you see the word, the Christ, it means the what? The Messiah. So others said, he's the Messiah. Still others asked, watch this. How can the Christ or Messiah come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ or Messiah will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. So there was this debate among the religious leaders. Some were saying, he's the Messiah. And and some of them were saying, no, he can't be. You know what the Old Testament says. You know the prophecy, the promise that's made that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. This guy's from Nazareth. If they'd dug a little deeper, they would have found out he was actually born in Bethlehem. They didn't dig deep enough. They they just said, no, that that can't be him. He's from Nazareth. So I'm reading this verse just to show you that there was this current that went through even their society, this current that went through that they're looking for Messiah. And they know. They know Messiah has to come from the city of David. They know the Old Testament promise that Messiah would come and occupy David's throne. And so they're looking for that. And so 
Let's go and look at the birth announcement in Matthew. And then we'll move on. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now, I want you to go back and read that one more time. They came, it says, after Jesus was born where? In Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They didn't say, where's the baby born? Where is this one born that was king of the Jews? Later they find out, verse 5, well, verse 4, when he had called together all the, pe- all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ, where Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. But this is what the prophet has written. And then he goes on and he quotes uh, the prophet Micah, Micah 5.2. Again, just another indication that Jesus was the fulfillment of the one that would come to occupy the throne of David forever. Number three. This this is where it gets, I I think, very interesting. Jesus Jesus is often called the son of David in the Gospels. You're in the book of Matthew. Go over to the very first chapter, the first verse. Look how he begins his gospel. The very first chapter, the very first, let's, let me put it this way, the very first verse of the New Testament. Look how it begins. A record of the genealogy of, Christ, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Son of David. In the opening pages of, Math, of, of the gospel of Matthew, it records that Jesus Christ is the son of David. And then, Matthew goes on and does something very inspiring. He gives us a genealogy. To the American reader, that's really kind of a joke because that's not very inspiring to us at all. We start reading a bunch of names we can't even pronounce. And it's like, that. there's nothing special about that at all. But to the original reader, it would be clear from the very beginning that Matthew was up to something. And this is the, the place that I've taken from the Core 52 book that I thought was very good. Uh, Matthew's up to something in this. If you take the time to read through the genealogy, you'll find out two things there, and I put these on your notes first. He arranged his list of names in three groups of 14 generations. We won't take the time to read all of those, but let me just give you the summary verse. I think we may have read this even last week or the week before, but uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 17 <clears throat> As Matthew gives us this genealogy of Jesus to prove he is the son of David, the one to occupy the throne of David forever, uh, Matthew, again, writing to Jews who would want that information, Matthew says this, verse 17, Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, 
and 14 from the exile to Messiah or to the Christ. So he arranged this list of names, 14 generations, then 14 generations, then 14 generations, which would make us ask the question, why 14? Why did he arrange it in groups of 14? And, and uh, to get at that, I need to give you the second point there that's on your notes. The Jews counted with letters, not numbers. I'm going to do a little bit of Hebrew alphabet for you here for a second. It's not, it's, it's not a, uh, very much unlike uh, your Roman numerals. You know, the, the Roman numerals are actually Roman letters, part of the Roman alphabet, that, and those are used as, as numbers as well. It's, it's very much the same in, in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, uh, they also are used as numbers. Now, just... Follow along closely for a while, and I think that that this will become very meaningful to see why Matthew did what he did in chapter 1. First of all, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters. And they're all consonants. There there are no vowels in the Hebrew alphabet. Which raises a question, well, how do you you read or write without vowels? It's a different society than what we've grown up in, what we're accustomed to. But there are vowel punctuation marks, if you will, if I could call it that, that were later added. Uh, we won't get into all of that. But, but basically, you need to know that 22 letters, all consonants. Therefore, David's name, if you were to spell David's name, you would spell it with only three letters. D, A, there's no A in Hebrew. B, I, there's no I in Hebrew because there's no vowels. D. So, so you would spell David's name very simply D V D. Now that's the English, of course, David. All right, now watch this. Here's the first six letters of the Hebrew alphabet Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav. Not very good writing there for my Hebrew, but you'll have to have to understand it's been a while since I've written Hebrew. Basically, this is what you use to spell the name David. And by the way, in the Hebrew Bible, you read from right to left. Hebrew, you read right to left. So if you're going to write the name David, Dalit, Bav, Dalit. That's how you would write it. What's the numerical value? One, two, three, four, five, six. Four plus six is ten plus four, fourteen. But when Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience and he writes about this genealogy of David, or this genealogy of of Jesus. He's making his case to the Jewish readers, this is the one that was prophesied about who would occupy David's throne forever. David. Numerical value of his name was 14. So when, when Matthew creates this genealogy, he puts it in groups 
14. The very, put this on your notes, the very numbers of the genealogy point to the supremacy of David and to the promise that his descendant would sit on his throne forever. Now, can I just give one word of warning? Let me pause and give one word of warning. Be careful getting online and trying to understand the numerical value of stuff. I know some of you, you're going to get excited about that. And you're going to start looking online. You're going to start doing this research. You're going to start coming to me and say, Did you know that the numerical value of so-and-so is well? You're going to have this grand theme. Let me just say that just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's right. Just because they have doctor in front of their name doesn't mean it's right. Be very, very careful. I, I really don't need you to come tell me about how you figured out the secret code of the Bible. Let me, let me just give you my position. There is no secret code of the Bible. Yes. <laughs> now you know how we did it right here. I would much rather we all be concerned with what the Bible says and try to understand it and live it than try to figure out what the secret code is. All right, so I just thought that would be a little fun for you, but not just fun. I thought it would be interesting for you to see that, listen, from the days of the New Testament, very first book in the, in the New Testament, they're making the case in the very first chapter of the New Testament in a unique way. Jesus Christ is the one to fulfill the promise made to David. And he is the one who will sit on David's throne forever. Is that good? Amen. So, Matthew, six times in the Gospel of Matthew, he records people calling Jesus the son of David. Uh, we, we, We don't have time to probably get too far into this, so let me read it real quickly. At least give you the references. Uh... You would need to understand, I can't remember if I put this in your notes or if it's just in mine, that uh, this, this Jewish title, the son of David, was a messianic title. That was their way of saying the Messiah. It, it's synonymous with Messiah. When you say son of David, when the Jew would say the son of David, it's, it's synonymous with Messiah. All right? It's a messianic title. So, it's interesting how that messianic title is used of Jesus throughout the gospel of Matthew. Look beginning in Matthew chapter 9 verse 27. If you want to write that reference down. Matthew chapter 9 verse 27. <clears throat> As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him calling out, "Have mercy on us, son of David." Matthew chapter 12 verse 22 and 23. <clears throat> After Jesus had healed or performed a miraculous healing, the crowd wondered if he could be David's son. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? Isn't that interesting? Could this be the son of David? That's why this is such a core verse. 2 Samuel 7.16 is such a core verse to understanding the entire message that you read through the Bible. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 22. 
a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, had mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly with demon possession. So, so here's a Canaanite woman. It's not an Israelite. This is a Canaanite. Here's a Canaanite woman who has clued into the fact this man is different. This man is the one prophesied about. This man is the son of David. Matthew chapter 20, verse 30, if you want to write that reference down. Matthew chapter 20, verse 30. Let's go to verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Chapter 21 of Matthew, verse 9. Chapter 21 of Matthew. This, this is talking about Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, going down from the Mount of Olives, uh, down that steep road, over into, uh, across the Kidron Valley and up into Jerusalem. And here's what we read, verse 8. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew chapter 21. Um, well, I was just going to tie in um, verse 5, Matthew 21 verse 5, and I'm going to take the time to, to read that, but you can write that reference down. Number four, the son of David was a messianic title. I, I just said that a moment ago, got ahead of myself. The son of David was a messianic title. That's number four there on your notes. I, I just think this is so intriguing in chapter 22. Jesus speaking to religious leaders. He was in conflict with them. They were in conflict with him and, and the kind of debate going on. And he's speaking to religious leaders and he brings up this issue of this messianic title. So let, let's, let's talk about that. Matthew chapter 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, you need to understand that the Pharisees, as they were talking to Jesus, they didn't think they were talking to the Christ. They didn't think they were talking to Messiah. And so he asked them what in their mind would be a very legitimate question. What do you think about Messiah? It would be kind of like us talking to a lost person today and say, what do you think about Jesus? Well, what's your opinion of Jesus? Which is a very good question to ask people, by the way. And so, so Jesus uses this kind of dialogue with these Pharisees. So let's read it again. Verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about Messiah, or the Christ, whose son is he? What did they reply? Son of David, they replied. Everybody, in parentheses, this is Keith's parentheses. Everybody knows that. Son of David. And then this is where it gets intriguing, verse 43. <clears throat> he said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord. 
he says, have you ever noticed this? He's talking to the Pharisees who've studied the law all their lives. He says, well, well, let me ask you, have you ever noticed how David refers to Messiah? For he says, verse 43, for he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies at your feet. Now, stop there for, for a moment. David said that the Lord, God, said to my Lord, Messiah, sit at my right hand, I'll put your enemies at your feet. And then he asked this question. If then David calls him Lord, if he calls the one that would follow him Lord, if he calls his son that would come after him Lord, how can he be a son? I love verse 46. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> the purpose of this quotation was to show that the Messiah was more than a descendant of David. He was David's Lord. Number five. The New Testament message is that Jesus is the one who will forever occupy David's throne. I think we've got the time to, to read these references. It'd be a good way to end it. First of all, when you go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, in the very first sermon that Jesus preached after after Jesus' resurrection, he reminded the audience there in Jerusalem that Jesus was David's heir. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Let's start at verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. Now, Peter was talking in the upper room. He was speaking these words in the upper room. And it's interesting that even today, the tomb of David is located under the upper room. Didn't even realize that until our, this, this previous trip. And Now, the tomb of David is disputed where it's located, but there is a tomb of David under the upper room. Now, now why is that important? Because look what he says here. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. Now did here mean downstairs? Or does here mean here in Jerusalem? That's the dispute. We're not sure. But regardless, everybody in that day knew where David was buried. So follow carefully what he said. <clears throat> Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. In the very first message Peter ever preached, guess what he talked about? Jesus the one to occupy the throne of David forever. Paul, a former Jewish rabbi, 
wrote the, the book of Romans. If you want to go over to the right to the book of Romans. Paul, let me say it again, a former Jewish rabbi opened this great theological book of Romans by highlighting Jesus' Davidic ancestry. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his holy prophets, or through his prophets in the holy scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's talking the very first part of this great book. He's the son of David, descendant of David. And he's also the son of God, proven to be the son of God by his resurrection. 2 Timothy, Paul writes again at the end of his ministry, the last letter that we know of that he wrote, at least the last letter uh, in sacred scripture by the hand of Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> Paul says this in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David. This is my gospel. I mean, it's last words. He says, remember Jesus Christ, and here's what I want you to remember about him. I want you to remember he was raised from the dead. I want you to remember he was a descendant of David. The one promised to fulfill David's throne forever, and this is my gospel. And then, we talked about how this goes throughout the Bible. So it wouldn't surprise you, I bet, to find out in, what's the last book of the Bible? What's the last chapter in Revelation? 22. So if you go to the last chapter of the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22 One of the last things that Jesus said, not the last, but one of the last, the last thing that Jesus is recorded of saying is in verse 20, but the next to last is in verse 16. Chapter 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. That's how the book ends. Jesus declaring, I am the offspring of David. I am the one that you, you read about back there in 2 Samuel 7, 16. I am the one prophesied that would occupy the throne forever. And as the book comes to a close, and as history comes to, the close, to a close, guess who's on the throne of David? Jesus. In the first chapter of the New Testament, we're told he's a descendant of David. In the last chapter of the New Testament, we're told he's a descendant of David. And you put those, those two together and you see that that is a core teaching of the Bible. Jesus didn't show up in Bethlehem by accident. By the way, he wasn't killed by accident either. He wasn't crucified by accident either. God has planned for your salvation in ages long ago. And part of that plan 
was that there would be a king who would be eternal. King you could give your life to. Jesus, the son of David, the son of God.